Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I remember the first guy that I taught, he, he walked into this studio and very shy um, and very nervous. And I was also nervous going like, did someone just pay me to teach him how to dance? What the hell? <laughs> Do not let him on that this is potentially a scam. Like, there's no way he's paying me to teach him how to dance, but whatever. Let's roll with this. Um, and he told me his story. He said, so, obviously, I don't know how to dance. Also, on top of that, I'm gay. And so, everyone expects me to know how to dance. They think <laughs> I'm a fantastic dancer. And he went, that is so far from the truth. I need so many shots of booze in order to, like, not, you know, get lost in my thoughts, not feel embarrassed because I know I'm embarrassed myself to not know that people are staring, wondering why can't this gay man dance? Um, and for the first I don't know, half hour of the lesson, he was staring down at his feet, like his head, his whole body was basically in that of shame, just like shoulders caved in head down, arms crossed as if he was literally guarding himself from being attacked. And he started learning a few basic moves, like very simple moves. And it started to feel good. And once he got the moves and he started doing it to the beat, and he noticed that. He's like, okay, cool. It's going to the beat. And then his shoulders relaxed, his arms relaxed. And I remember he looked up at the mirror in front of him and then he smirked. He smiled and I went, what's up? He went, oh, oh, I think I can. I'm beginning to learn how to dance. I think I can dance. I went, damn straight, you can dance. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Ben, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, Srini. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So, you know, I came across your story actually by way of one of our listeners who somehow found a TED Talk that you did about dancing and using dancing as a way to build confidence. And I looked at it and, you know, like I get a lot of things sent to me, but for some reason I couldn't stop watching this TED Talk. It just made me mm. laugh. It, it, you know, I was like, okay, this is just a really cool story. But before we get there, um, I want to start with, a, a, you know, a question that I've been known to start with, and that is, what do you think it is, uh, you know, from early childhood, like an experience, a memory or something that planted the seed uh, in your mind for what you eventually ended up doing with your life and your work? Huh. The first memory that pops into mind is fourth grade Catholic school in Brooklyn. Uh, wasn't raised Catholic, but my family thought that, you know, Catholic school, good education. Um, so I went there and for recess, all the guys would normally be playing sports. They'd be playing football, basketball, something along those lines. And instead, with 
my little posse of two other kids, Jonathan and Ethan, we'd be playing pretend. We would be acting out scenes and whatnot, uh, superheroes, Spider-Man, Batman, etc. And that was pure bliss for me. And I just remember from that point onwards in long car rides, because we often took cross-country trips, um, I would have my, my Discman, my Sony Discman, and I listened to songs in there, and I'd always imagine action scenes. With every song I hear, I would hear, I would see this, you know, Jackie Chan-style action scene play out. And I just thought that was, that would be the coolest thing in the world. And I never thought of it as like a career. I just thought of it as, oh, this is what happens when you listen to music. You imagine, you know, people kicking ass and taking names. Uh-huh. And somehow that led to learning how to dance, which was something that frustrated me for a while, which was because I'd hear music, but I just didn't know how to move to it. Um, it would, like, you feel that rumble in your belly, that, like, creative burn, and I just couldn't manifest it. And so after several years, I finally learned how to dance. And uh, although I wasn't kicking ass like Spider-Man and whatnot, I could still, you know, move to the music in a way that felt badass. So that's kind of what... Uh, how it all start from fourth grade playing pretend. Okay. Uh, well, one question about this first. Um, do you remember what the very first uh, CD or album that you owned was? Holy crap. All right. Uh, so this is going to a out me out my age <laughs> and B uh, be very embarrassing. Uh, my first introduction to music was through my cousin and she loved pop music. And okay. so naturally she introduced me to NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Uh, so probably my first CD was NSYNC's, uh, first album. Uh, so that's if, yeah, that's what I was rocking out to on those cross country trips to, you know, California and Grand Canyon, listening to NSYNC, let her rip acapella style. (laughs) There we go. Also, (laughs) also people who dance. So not a strange coincidence or not. Yes, they, oh, they can dance. Justin Timberlake, mm, that man can move. <laughs> All right, so here's, here's what was really interesting to me because like, what I know about you basically is, is what you've told me and what I found from your TED Talk, which we'll, we'll link up in the show notes. But walk mm-hmm. me through the journey from fourth grade to this. Like, how do you go from that moment of you know, this love for music, this love of moving, moving to music? Like, what has happened between there and you know, how I found you? Because I can't imagine it was just sort of a straight and narrow path because straight and narrow paths very rarely lead destinations like this. (laughs) Oh, I think my mom is still asking this question to this day. Don't worry. Uh, My mom asks it every day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Asian parents. Um, Let's see it. Honestly, I was on the straight and narrow, like Asian path. I had all the good grades. I thought I would go to medical school. Um, In middle school, I, my family would always go to uh, Borders Bookstore every Friday, and I would go straight to the College Guide section and memorize, literally, the I think Princeton Review Top 100, whatever, College Guides. Um, so I was, like, on that path for a while. And uh, by the time I got to college, I was a little sick of academia. And so I started taking these classes just for fun. And two of those classes included breakdancing and circus. And so... I tried them out and thought this is kind of fun and spent more time doing this stuff than actually attending class. And by my senior year, I was going to class maybe like once a week, twice a week. Mom, if you're listening to this, I love you. I swear I was studying hard. Um, <laughs> and I majored in philosophy 
And by the time I graduated, I thought, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so a friend that taught me the basics of gymnastics and invited me to, you know, she introduced me to circus. She said, hey, I'm living in Seattle right now and doing circus stuff. You want to come out here and do circus? And so naturally, as a philosophy major, I wasn't going to be doing anything else. So I thought, uh, yeah, why the hell not? I'll do some circus stuff for a summer just for fun. And I ended up living in Seattle for three years pursuing circus arts and performing circus. And during that time, I eventually got over my, my fear of dance, uh, which is a story in itself. And then decide, you know, I kind of like this dancing. I kind of like this circusing. Let's combine them. And I started doing uh, performances that incorporate dance and acrobatics and clowning. Wow. Okay. Um, multiple questions come from that. Uh, I think that the first one, of course, is, you know, there's no way me being Indian, you being Asian, we can't get through this conversation without talking about our parents. Uh, You know, I I have to ask you what this relationship with your parents is like, especially when you kind of have basically violated every, you know, sort of expectation. I mean, this, this is as far from med school as you could possibly get. Um, So I'm curious what, you know, what that whole experience has been like with your parents. You know, to be honest, it is still unfolding to this day. It's, uh, as you know, I imagine most relationships are, but in college, I was still, I still gave the impression of I'm going on the right path. I'm, um, but that's when things started to get a little uneasy and that I want to take a year off from college. I want to take time away from college because it, academia was not feeling fulfilling. It felt basically I studied philosophy because I thought it would give me the answers to what living a good life could be how I could live a good life. And I discovered philosophy didn't have the answers to it. And the more I pursued movement-related stuff, creative stuff like dance and circus, um, I found that more more purposeful, more fulfilling. And so there's this discord. And and so when I went to Seattle to do circus, I told my parents that, okay, this is just for the summer. I just need a little break from academia. And so they went, okay, cool. Take a little break from academia. And then, of course, you know, grad school. Um, and, and just as a little context, I'm, I'm mixed. So my dad is Caucasian, he's Scottish and my mom is Chinese and I've kind of internalized their own conflict, which is my dad was always about pursue, follow your gut, your intuition, your, your higher calling. Um, and always stress that there's a difference between academia and your own education. And so I was following more in that line starting in college, whereas my mother, understandably, wanted me to, to live a, a respectable life, a stable life, a secure life. And so the more she realized that the circus thing is lasting longer, the more <laughs> she got worried, the more, uh, more anxious she got. And, um, and eventually I became the black sheep of my Asian family. Um, like literally, they, they told my younger sister, do not become like your brother. There is still hope for you. Like, make sure to study hard. Um, so, in no uncertain terms, I was the outcast, the one that did circus and dated questionable circus women. Um, <laughs> yeah, and even till now, it's uh, it's it's less frequent, but it used to be about once a week the conversation of so, what about medical school? What about grad school? And it got to the point where my family was literally trying to bribe me to go to medical school. They said. We will take care of everything for you. We will pay for it. We will buy you a place in New York City 
you will have a car, you will have Spanish wine. I don't know where the Spanish wine came in, but for some reason <laughs> I thought that'd be like a nice little bonus. Like you'll have booze, really good booze. Um, but they were literally trying to bribe me to go back to medical school. And at first I was really pissed, like so annoyed. Like, why would you insist on this? But from their perspective, it makes sense. They came over to the U.S. during the Vietnam War. When they came to the U.S., they, they were looked down upon. They were not respected. Um, and so in their mind, they do not want me to have low, lowly work, work that I would, someone could look down upon, someone could think less of, and that I would have a stable life that can provide for a future family. So it makes sense. But it took me a while to be calm with that. At first, I went, why won't you let me do circus? I love circus. Circus is great. And the women are gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> circus is fulfilling creatively. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's... And it's still a conversation to this day. Um, but uh, less less intense. <laughs> but, you know, you, you probably have a pretty good shot at, at getting into med school, given your unusual background. <laughs> Maybe, if I wanted that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I have to ask about the circus because, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think for most of us, like, you know, we're, we're kind of, we hear the word circus and, you know, what comes to our mind is things like Ringling Brothers, like elephants and all the things that we've seen mm -hmm. on TV or experienced growing up as kids. But yeah. I'm, I'm really curious, like, what is the day-to-day -day life, um, you know, of somebody who is in a, a circus group like? Like, what are your daily habits like? What are your routines? What are your social relationships like? You mentioned gorgeous women. So <laughs> I, I want to do a deep dive into the life of, you know, what what is wh the world of the circus? Like, it, it kind of give us, you know, take us into that world yeah so i moved to seattle to work at a circus school since i never grew up doing gymnastics but in college i took a few classes and turned out i had a slight aptitude for this sort of stuff and so i went to seattle to like teach and then eventually to train to be a full-time circus artist and so i was both uh teaching and performing on the side and so uh the teaching part was uh it's like a normal job, but my office happened to be three large warehouses with colorful, bouncy objects all over the place. And when I say hello to my coworkers, they happen to be standing on each other's heads. And so like slightly different coworkers than normal. Um, and the, the part that sticks out the most in my mind was the community. It is, for the most part, circus communities, you walk in and their first thing they say to you is like, hey, you want to come play with us? Like it's, there's room for everyone there is a specialty for everyone there is space there is not it's not like ballet where there's a certain body type or um other sports where you need certain i don't know predisposed advantages and circuses there are people there that let's see a couple that they were medical researchers and then decide you know we want to be duo trapeze artists and so they left that all behind and in their like, late 20s early 30s decided to pursue that and so they were some of the people I hung out with and it is just an extremely welcoming, playful, creative community, which is probably why I stayed in Seattle for so long is that you walk in and it's, it's a version of cheers. Everyone knows your name and they're fun, playful, loving. And when you get, when you perform, you get to, you get to feel like a rock star. And so I think that's, uh, at least that's what kept me for a while, the community and getting an opportunity to, to shine, feel like you're, you're seen. Um, and as for daily habits, uh, I wish I could say it was, you know, a very elite, intense thing, but circus folk, <laughs> no, nah, not really. <laughs> it's, you know, you happen to come in at you know, 10 a.m., 11 a.m., whenever you happen to wake up, 
you train a little bit, hang around, talk a lot. And then, you know, if you happen to be performing that night, you go, you get ready for rehearsal, you perform, depending on how Russian you are, maybe have a few shots beforehand and, uh, get on stage, perform, people come up to you afterwards, cheer, applaud, hug, and then, uh, you go home and figure out what the hell you're going to do the next day. <laughs> what, uh, what is the training like? I mean, w- what's involved in the training? Like, let's say somebody listening to this is like, okay, now I'm fascinated. I wonder what I can do to go get involved in, in the circus in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm you know, working on a, a new book about creative habits. And the first thing mm-hmm. that came to my mind when you've been describing this is, huh, I should go in and take a class and experience this. Yeah. And you also mentioned gorgeous women. So that kind of was a selling point. Uh, Serena, you have come to New York. I'll, anyways, we'll save that conversation <laughs> for another time. Um, but so, yeah, habits. All right. So, if someone wants to get into the circus, you would find a circus school, uh, a pre professional or professional training program. And it's, yeah, it varies from place to place. But I can at least speak to my own experience when I was training, which was I would wake up go in and you go through your warmups, your prehabilitation, and you do lots and lots of drills. Like that's so much of circus in that you are trained to be able to perform that one skill, those three skills that either no one else can do or no, no one else can do it the way you do it. Um, and it's just repetition after repetition after repetition. Um, and you drill that over and over again. Like my, my acrobatics coach, this, six two lanky frenchman um and when he like normally acrobats aren't that tall normally they're like you know much shorter and yet when he would flip it's like a cat like no noise and so when he trained me he would tell me my homework for the week and he would say all right now i want you to do 100 cartwheels every day 50 backflips every day uh a few hundred this few hundred that and i thought he first time i worked with him i thought he was joking he went no, 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 that's what you're going to do. And went, but why? He went, I want it so that if I were to smack you in the middle of the night awake, you could do it without any hesitation, without any problems. Like it needs to be in your bones. And so a lot of circuses is drilling, 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 drilling. And then, you know, you're doing your flexibility, your strength training. So it also depends on your discipline. Um, if you're doing, say, at backs versus juggling versus tight wire, but a large part of the time is spent drilling. And as for actual how much, uh, it, it varies. It, some people are old school, like my coach, and he would say, you do hundreds every day. So depends on how Russian and Chinese they are. If they're Russian and Chinese, uh, God be with you. And um, <laughs> I hope you have a good masseuse or chiropractor on speed dial. Um, the more American, the more, the more lax they'll be with you know, the hundreds of repetitions and hundreds of push-ups and pull-ups. So it depends on what's your poison. What's your ideal form of pain and torture? <laughs> so what did you learn uh, from Circus about performance and about creativity? Early on when I was getting ready to perform my first solo act, uh, I, was, I was drilling over and over again, and I was terrified because I wanted to make it a clowning act. I wanted to be like Buster Keaton, this guy that has amazing physicality. And even though he doesn't say a single word, you feel him emotionally. And I was getting ready to create my first ever piece like that in, you know, in homage to him. And I kept thinking like, ah, shit, like what if this is just not funny at all? 
what if what I find funny, the audience is going to go, seriously, dude? Uh, man, I need more drinks to watch this kid. Um, and a buddy of mine, a juggler named Nikolai, he gave me the best advice I've ever received on performing and one that I still keep to stay and actually tell the people that I work with. And he said, when you're on stage, just know the audience wants you to win. They are rooting for you. They are on your side. Um, and so even if you mess up, like smile, acknowledge it because like they want you to win. And something about that really stuck with me. He just said, and similarly, the more you enjoy yourself, the more they're going to enjoy themselves. All you have to do is let them in. Have a blast and they're going to have fun with you. You are opening up them up to your world of fun and they will love you for it. That's all you have to do. And, and sure enough, that's, that's kind of what did it for me and stuck in my mind since. So whether it's performing, whether it's just dancing, if you are having fun, you become a beacon to other people. They, I mean, naturally, like, who doesn't want to be around the person that's having a blast that is just beaming with light and joy? And so uh, that's the thing that stuck with me the most. Just the more I have fun on stage, the more people are going to enjoy what they see. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's funny. I, I, it, like, I think of that, you know, from the lens of public speaking as well as even doing interviews, and I kind of feel the same way about mm-hmm. it. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, like I, I know when I'm not having fun because I've been, you know, obnoxious enough to cut interviews in the middle of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I want to ask you one other question. You know, you made a, a sort of pivotal decision to say, you know what, you're kind of at this crossroads of med school or the circus. And you're like, OK, despite a lot of external opposition, I'm going to go and do this crazy circus thing. Uh yeah. I think that often we come to those kinds of crossroads in our lives over and over and over again. Like every time we want to do something of significance that could alter the trajectory of our lives, we arrive at moments like that. And I am wondering why, based on your experience, you think people choose the more safe and conventional route. Hmm. You know, it's something I still, still wrestle with. And it's, even though I made that choice to pursue the unconventional route, it's, it still came with a, a heavy dose of Asian guilt, um, <laughs> like some serious Asian guilt. And so at least from my, my background, my, my history, I, I can understand a little better why someone would choose a conventional route in that, at least from a, like having immigrant parents, you don't want to let them down. Yeah. Um, you know, they come to the U S they give, so much, like they sacrifice so much. Like I think about how much my mom sacrificed to give me the opportunities I had. And it, it pains me. It like actually pains me how much she gave up. And, and so I can understand why, you know, if you have parents, immigrant parents, like you'd want to, you'd want to do right by them, you know? So there is, there can be that conflict between what, what do I feel called to do and what do I think would make my family proud um, to do right by them, to give back to them, you know, for all the things that they gave sacrificed for me. And in that, in that context, it's, you know, it's very much understandable. Um, and it's something I still think about to this day, you know, when my mom is asking me to, you know, again, pursue grad school, another route. And I just know that she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't want to see me suffer. Mm-hmm. Essentially, is what comes down to it. And so, um, in that in that way, I can understand why someone would choose a safer route to to not let their parents down, their family down, to know that they can give back and provide. Yeah. What do you think enables them to choose the unconventional route? Like, what makes that possible? As mm-hmm. somebody who's done it. Yeah. Well, 
I will be honest and say that what helped a lot was that I was across the country when I made this decision. <laughs> like, the, if I was having to face my mother in person, it would be a lot harder. Um, but I was, you know, in Seattle talking to her on a phone. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what did it. And what made it easier to decide was, I guess this is really simple and nothing particularly mind-blowing, but yeah. just the joy and the work itself. Like, the more, yeah, it was the sense of trusting myself and knowing that I could both love my mother, love my family, be thankful for what they gave me, and still pursue something that makes me sing, to trust that I will, I will be just fine, that I'll be all right, that I will um, be able to take care of myself. Um, so, so yeah, it was knowing that it didn't have to be an or decision. It could be and. I could love them, do right by them, mm-hmm. um, and live a life that I'm... I'm proud of and saying it right now, I think like, yo, young Ben, why did you not think of that? It is not like an either or sort of thing. It can, you can do both, but, but man, that Asian guilt is insidious, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious about you actually, if you don't mind me asking, like, is this something you ever had oh. discussion with, with your family? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have an entire section of my book dedicated to this. So yeah. Well, uh, in that case. yeah, no, it, it's something I think a lot about. My sister is a doctor, so I, I think about it uh-huh. plenty. Uh, so it, it's, it's definitely on my mind. Uh, yeah. you know, my dad's a professor, my sister's a doctor. So like I have this family that is very much on a conventional trajectory. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like I always jokingly say, I think God made a sorting error by putting me with my family. <laughs> And what was your thinking as you were like in the early stages of growing your business when, you know, there isn't a massive success to necessarily show for how, how did that come, those conversations go? Um, you know, I mean, I, I, like, I think I, I basically kind of made a half-hearted effort to find a job to appease them to like say, okay, look, I'm trying. And then of course my trying didn't lead anywhere. So it was convenient, conveniently my trying didn't lead anywhere. Um, so it was like, okay, look, I've been to all these interviews. Nobody's hiring me. Why am I doing this? This makes no sense. So, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I was like, this is just stupid. Like, like it was one of those things where I'm like, trust me, I know what I'm doing here, even though, uh, it will be completely misunderstood. You guys will not be able to make sense of it, but it will work. Uh, yeah. you know, and it, it's taken a really long time, which, which is one of those things that it does. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, so let, let's do this. I want to, I want to actually talk about the, the shift from circus to the whole dancing thing, which is how mm-hmm. I found out about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what, what sparked the interest in that, like to make that shift. And then I want to actually start talking about the work you do and like, um, what kind of impact this is because like, like you know, you know I, I, what drew me into that Ted talk was one, I always felt that I can't dance. Um, uh, you know, and so I was like, okay, I really, cause I remember you saying something like that. I related to that in that moment. I was like, God, I wonder like what an idiot I look like on the dance floor <laughs> unless I've had a few drinks. So uh-huh. I was like, okay, I definitely have to talk to this guy. Uh, but let's, let's start with kind of the, the shift from circus to, uh, doing what you do now. Like yeah. where did that start and how did it start? Yeah, it, it started about when. I left Seattle to move to Montreal, which is circus mecca of the world. That's where Cirque du Soleil is located. That is where um, one of the top circus schools in the world is located. And I decided I wanted to move there and really surround myself with the best of the best, the top people of the world to soak it all in. 
And I found myself completely miserable, injured, uh, bedridden because I couldn't move my neck anywhere without pain because of some, you know, dumb trick I was trying to pull. And I was noticing all these people that were at the top of their game and seeing, wow, I actually don't want to live this lifestyle where they are dependent on so many other people to uh, be paid. There's so much outside of their control and they aren't necessarily doing the art that they want to be doing. They are doing what is in demand, what the show needs, and they don't really get to see their friends and family that often. And that on top of being injured all the time, I went, I'm so tired of being injured at all times. Like I'm like an old man at this point. And so I thought about different options and I thought, all right, what if I try and, you know, create a business, uh, said every young know-it-all kid. Um, and I decided, all right, I'm going to move back to New York city and pursue entrepreneurship. I don't know how to spell it. I don't really know what it means, but I'm going to pursue it. Um, and so I moved back to New York and, uh, and I was at a bar with various other aspiring budding entrepreneurs and I was trying to go over some ideas for different things I can do. And jokingly I said, Oh, what if I help men get laid through teaching them how to dance? I thought that'd be <laughs> funny. Um, and then both the men and women said, yes, very sternly, very seriously. They went, yes, you, you should. And I went, huh. All right. And so I decided to test it out. And I thought at this point, uh, it's such a brilliant idea. Everyone loves it. I will create a workshop and people will come flooding to me. I will build it and they will come. And as you probably already know, that shit doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. um, oh my God. Uh, and so it took a few attempts, but eventually I discovered that yes, it is, uh, you know, a decent idea with a, a market of men that could use this. And also that with some work, a lot of work and learning how to market and sell that it can be profitable. And it just found like an, it felt like a nice way to overlap my artistic desires, creative desires, and also being able to, for the first time ever, create income on my own terms. And so that's kind of how it began. Okay. Um, Tell me about your first experience of teaching somebody how to dance. I mean, yeah, you know, of course, that, that premise of, you know, I'm going to teach men how to dance so they can get laid. I was like, uh-huh. that is, def- like I said, I mean, what drew me into the story, I was like, wow, this is really unmistakable. Like, there's something really special about this. Um, and, you know, it wasn't sleazy in any way at all. But I like, I loved the TED Talk so much. And, you know, it was, like I said, recommended by one of our listeners. Um, tell me about the first experience of teaching somebody to go through this and kind of what, like, talk to me about the before and after of a person yeah. who's gone through this experience with you. That's what I'm really interested in. Mm. So the first, I remember the first guy that I taught, he, he walked into this studio and very shy um, and very nervous. And I was also nervous going like, does someone just pay me to teach him how to dance? What the hell? <laughs> Do not let him on that. This is potentially a scam. Like there's no way he's paying me to teach him how to dance, but whatever. Let's roll with this. Um, and he told me his story. He said, so obviously I don't know how to dance. Also on top of that, I'm gay. And so everyone expects me to know how to dance. <laughs> they think I'm a fantastic dancer. And he went, that is so far from the truth. I need so many shots of booze in order to like, not, you know, get lost in my thoughts, not 
feel embarrassed because I know I'm embarrassed myself to not know that people are staring, wondering why can't this gay man dance? Um, and for the first I don't know, half hour of the lesson, he was staring down at his feet, like his head, his whole body was basically in that of shame, just like shoulders caved in head down, arms crossed as if he was literally guarding himself from being attacked. And he started learning a few basic moves, like very simple moves. And it started to feel good. And once he got the moves and he started doing it to the beat, he noticed that he's like, okay, cool. It's going to the beat. And then his shoulders relaxed, his arms relaxed. And I remember he looked up at the mirror in front of him and then he smirked, he smiled and went, what's up? He went, Oh, Oh, I think I can, I'm beginning to learn how to dance. I think I can dance. I went damn straight. You can dance. (laughs) And it was that look of going from shame to just the faint, faint flickers of pride, just like the beginning embers of pride. Just like, Oh, 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 look at you, you handsome devil. Yeah, you can dance. Mm. It was that look on his face. And that was, Oh, that was just my favorite moment. That look of him going, yeah, I got this. I can, I can move. I can feel good moving and look good moving at the same time. And that was thankfully my first experience teaching a guy to dance. <laughs> that was awesome. Like I had this scene in my mind of like, you know, if you've seen the movie hitch where, uh, oh, yeah. you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, that was my first <laughs> dance lesson actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I guess the other bigger question, you know, like, why is it this, where does this, I can't dance narrative come from? Like, you know, I mean, I've told you that myself, like, I actually believe that right now. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what drew me into this story, but why is it that people feel so self-conscious about, uh, something like dancing? And, and, you know, I'm curious, like what, so you taught this guy, I'm curious, what are the other sort of changes that you've seen in other people's lives as a byproduct? Like, what are the unexpected changes? I mean, other than hopefully getting laid, which, you know, yeah. not that that's a bad change, but, um, I am curious, like, what are the unexpected things that have come about from this? And then let, let's go to that second, but first, you know, where yeah. does this whole sort of self-consciousness about dancing comes from? Cause we're not self-conscious about standing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's the reason why I even want to do this and why I want to do it in the first place was because I was, I was the target audience. I was the target demographic. Um, I couldn't dance for most of my life and it was embarrassing. And what I found through teaching other guys is that it basically came down to feeling like you are looking less of a, like less of a man the moment you try to dance. Like, oh God, I've just made a complete ass of myself, even though at the bar, I'm standing there looking pretty cool with my, you know, diesel jeans and, you know, nice crisp white button down and my vodka martini. Like I'm looking pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. But there's this ter- this crippling, paralyzing fear that like the moment you step onto a dance floor and if you don't know what you're doing, you will just completely emasculate yourself. Like you will look like a fool. You will be laughed at. People will think that you are less powerful less cool and that's what i felt for most of my life this feeling of you know i could be on the dance floor or i could stab myself in the eye with a dull pencil (laughs) i'm not really sure which one is worse at this moment Uh, public humiliation or you know self-inflicted pain may i'll just go with the self-inflicted pain um it's yeah and most of the guys i've talked to they actually every guy i talk to uh has the exact same thoughts going through his head on a dance floor. Um, they're the thoughts of, I, I look too, I, I'm too stiff. 
I look stiff. I look foolish. I'm embarrassing myself. Um, I don't look cool. Uh, I can't join in with my friends because, you know, I'm just going to stand out like a sore thumb. It's, yeah, it's this feeling that as soon as I'm outed as not cool, I will not be part of the party. I will not, I will be made fun of. I will be ostracized and less of a man. And so, um, basically every single guy that I've come across has used almost those same words, uh, to describe what they're feeling. Uh What goes through your mind? A lot of those those very things, like as you're describing that, I can't help but think of all the Indian weddings that I happen to have been at where, you know, like I'll see my mom glaring at me for not being willing to go to the dance floor. Uh-huh. Uh, like, you know, if we happen to be at a wedding together and it's like, oh, I'm like, I don't want to go to the dance floor because I, I, you know, I'm like, I can't dance like half these people. And yeah. you know, then you add Indian music into that and it's, you know, a whole other disaster. Uh <laughs> But yeah, I, I think I, I have a lot of those sort of same narratives. And it's funny because it, it's it's a, like it's to me, the, the issue isn't a lack of being able to dance. It seems like what you're really solving is another problem, but you're using dancing as the mechanism to solve it. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, it's basically therapy through dance, <laughs> which I love. I mean, it, it's such a it's such a cool you know concept. So uh, which takes us to that, 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 that other question. What are the unexpected things that uh, you've actually seen as a byproduct of, of doing this with guys? Like what are some things that have really surprised you in this process? Hmm. So the part I didn't anticipate when first starting was how it affects their um, sense of belonging. And so first when guys came to me, I thought I was literally, literally a doctor fixing some symptom. I have knee pain. Here's something to fix your knee pain. I don't know dance moves. Here are dance moves. I thought it was just simply because most of the guys, they would say like, oh, female friends, you know, they tell me to just relax and feel the music. But for most dudes, that's equivalent of being told, just relax and speak Russian. Just you'll be fine. (laughs) Just let it flow. Let the Russian flow. And as dudes are like, seriously, you're going to tell me just relax and do something I can't do. You're you're the best. Um, And so I thought I was literally just giving them dance moves so they can go and do dancing. Um, but what I didn't expect was it helped them feel like they belong because for a lot of the guys, even though they would come to me first saying like, I need to know dance moves after talking to them, they would go, yeah, when I'm out at weddings or parties with friends, I want to feel like I belong. Like I'm literally good enough to belong that, um, yeah, I can be, I can be with friends and have fun with them. And so even though they may say it's because of a girl or because, uh, I want to get laid. Most of the time, it's just the sense of wanting to belong. And after they learn dance moves, they would say, yeah, I could actually, you know, I'll give an example. One guy, he, we never actually met in person. He only uh, learned from my online material. He said he wanted to learn how to dance in a year so that he could go to his sister's wedding mm-hmm. and enjoy himself with family and friends. Uh, and I didn't expect this, but he actually emailed me a year later saying, so the wedding happened. And I had a blast. Not only did I feel like I could join in on the fun, but people were approaching me. Um, they want to dance with me. And they were commenting on how much fun it was to dance with me. Um, and so the, that was the biggest surprise, the sense that guys felt like they, they belonged. And I mean, hell, we all want to feel like we're good enough to belong. Yeah. Wow. So have you had guys who've ended up in relationships as a byproduct of their uh, learning to dance? I've had guys that have had um, some fun 
uh, <laughs> rated R experiences. Okay. As a result, uh, I, I'll leave it at that. But I've had guys email me going, yes, or text me going, so this just happened and these women approached me. Um, and at that point, the radio silence I take as a good thing. After they tell me that, you know, so-and-so approached them and they met so-and-so. Um, after that, the few guys I've checked up with, they went, yeah, it went well. Um, so I'm like, <laughs> all right, cool. say no more. You're good to go. Wow. That's really cool. All right. Um, so let's, you know, kind of get away from sort of this part of it. And I want to ask you some questions that I generally ask a lot of people um, that I, have, you know, have interviewed. Um, one of them is basically artistic influences in your life. When I mean, you've mentioned circus, you've mentioned music. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, if you look back over the course of your life uh, as you've done this work, what's one book, uh, one music album, one documentary film, you can do one of each or only one uh, that has profoundly influenced your life that you'd want to share with our audience. Let's see. First would be Hitch, uh, just because <laughs> literally that was my first ever dance lesson. I was getting ready for prom, which again gives my age away. And I wanted to learn how to dance. And so I literally watched that dance scene, Will Smith teaching, uh, I don't remember his name, Kevin something. Yeah. Uh, uh, how to do the two step with the arms by the side. And so I did that for like several hours straight at prom. <laughs> uh, it was the starting point. So. Uh, so there's that, there's, what else is there? Book. One book I give out to most of my guys is the charisma myth by Olivia Fox Cabane. Uh And because a lot of dance is really just body language, um, and, you know, doing, changing your body language to music, to a beat. That's really what comes down to if you're talking about survival. And so, uh, I gave them that book because it's, the way it's laid out in that book, it's not charisma is something that you add on like layer upon layer, like, all right, Brad Pitt does this with his arms and Will Smith does this with his legs. Most of the book is spent on what do you need to do to get out of your own way so that you can become the most charismatic version of yourself. And that's what I end up spending a lot of time with guys doing, which is like, let's just take away the things that are getting in your way from enjoying the music because odds are there are going to be some songs that you really enjoy. And so Let's let's remove those barriers. And the book is the same thing. Let's remove the barriers that keep you from being the most badass, sexy, charismatic version of you. Mm. Um, so that's book music. It's it's hard to say. Yeah. Maybe in sync, <laughs> just because you know <laughs> it's what got me going. Um, one other question about the dancing piece: What's uh, been the re- uh, response from women? To the work that you do. I'm very curious, like, you know, I mean, I'm guessing you've gotten to talk, like, I mean, not just women in terms of how they respond to the guys, but responded yeah. to your work in general. Uh, surprisingly positive. At first when I, I thought I was a little embarrassed to even mention it to women. I thought I'd get these looks of like, who do you think you are? Or <laughs> what you're going, oh, you're one of those pickup artists, aren't you? And I'd get smacked across the face. Yeah. Um, but it's been really positive. Most times they'd say, uh, actually there's some guy I need to introduce you to most of my male friends, um, <laughs> but I don't want to be like a door to door, you know, I don't want to be like thrust upon men. Like you need this. Um, but yeah, most of the women have been, uh, really enthusiastic saying more men, uh, need to get funky on the dance floor. And I wish they knew that it really doesn't take all that much for us to have fun, uh, dancing with other guys since most guys are concerned with what moves are doing and, it's that is so far from the truth of what makes for a fun dance partner for women. Wow. Yeah. 
All right. So I have one last question for you, which is yeah. how we finish all our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable. Hmm. It's, I guess I'll put it in the, the context of dance. Uh, since the stuff that I spend with my guys doing is I, I know every single guy you include Srini has the potential to be a baller dancer, not because of technique or anything like that, but because, you know, when you hear those songs that just light the fire in your belly, the sense of like the, this holy funk spirit is just like brewing inside. Like, mm, I got a, oh man, here's uptown funk and like, oh, I want to lose my shit to this. Um, whenever you allow yourself to, even for a second, just let loose, let go of control for a little bit, um, it is absolutely stunning and beautiful because it's, it's you, you are sharing a piece of you. And so the people I find unmistakably creative, the, the dancers that I find creative are the ones that, that bleed in front of others and not bleed in the bad way, but rather they, they allow themselves to be seen, um, in the most raw form, even if there isn't good technique, even if it's off the beat, even if it looks weird, whatever it is, it is, they are showing themselves. And to me, that just looks divine. It, they look like walking gods in those moments or dancing gods, I should say. Um, and to me, I find that just unmistakably creative. Like you cannot help but watch and see someone glowing like that. <laughs> well, um, this has just been awesome. This has been one of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Uh, it's just really cool. I'm so glad one of our listeners put your work on my radar. Uh, so uh, where can people learn more about what you do? Uh, they can go to mrbenweston.com if they want to meet with me in New York City or dancefloorarsenal.com. Those are the two. Those are my two online homes. Very cool. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.